Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Newman. I'm Professor of Space Law and Policy at the University of Northumbria in Newcastle in the United Kingdom. I'm also International Space Law Advisor for Cold Star Technologies. I listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Canigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out what we can achieve together with your Lean Six Sigma or Operational Excellence programs. And check out opexsociety.org to learn more. This is Jason Canigan, the president of Cold Star Tech, the installer of systems and processes for space and defense firms. So we're going to begin our look at SIBRs and STTRs and the joys of grant applications and what happens when you actually win a project with Dr. David Carroll. He has a doctorate in aerospace and aeronautical and astronautical engineering from his favorite place, the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, uh, where basically he's made his home. He's been a visiting professor of theirs for the last 11 years, and he is president of CU Aerospace. He's been uh, president there since 1998, but he was not their first president, and why that is, and why he is their second president, <laughs> has been, is an interesting story relevant to our discussion. So, David, welcome. All right, David, so we're going to talk about customer and product development with phase one and two SBIRs. Uh, with with a specific SBIR in mind, um, you were solving a certain problem <laughs> in your company and you applied for this grant. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what that project was. Sure. All right. So one of our big areas is uh, micro propulsion for small or nano satellites. And the primary purpose there is to alleviate or mitigate the growing orbital debris problem that's mm. uh, escalating in low Earth orbit. And by adding propulsion to future satellites, you, protect, you, you practice what's called responsible space in mm. order to provide these satellites with a way to, one, uh, avoid collisions, but also at the end of the mission life, it allows them to deorbit more rapidly. Excellent. And so you had applied for an SBIR uh, and were granted it. Um, was this phase one or two or both? Both. Okay. So consecutively, how long was that that whole project then in years? So we actually have had multiple thruster systems. Um, and so multiple phase one, phase twos. We we're working on our fourth yeah, fourth phase one, phase two thruster program um, now. And so the phase ones are typically six months. And then you write a proposal. You've got to wait for uh, this phase two award, which usually happens about in the whole process, about six months later. Mm -hmm. And then those are two-year programs, although we have found that for various reasons, you know, supply chain issues or whatever, we usually run a little longer, so maybe two, two and a half years. Okay. In total, you're talking about a three to three and a half year process. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of different kinds of people will be listening to this, right? There'll be students, there'll be academics, there'll be business people who have never done this before. Uh, but I've been talking to people who have been getting these kinds of grants for a couple of years now, and I still don't fully understand it, which is why uh, you're my guest today, right? Uh, you know, it we're doing a process. It, yeah, we're doing a series of these. And uh, so we're going to learn a lot. 
Uh, so as anybody knows who follows me for any length of time, I'm interested in developing a commercial space industry, not just one that takes government money and turns out cool stuff in return for it, right? Uh, that means we need a customer. <laughs> so David, who is your target customer or user for this technology? So we really uh, target everyone, uh, NASA, DOD, commercial, educational uh, mm -hmm. customers, uh, we've got a family of four different thruster technologies now at this point that we are developing and offering. And each thruster has its own, you know, pluses and minuses. Uh, some are higher cost and some are, are meant for a lower cost environment. Um, so, you know, you, depending on what your capability is, we try to meet that need. Okay. Um, how, how did you get their attention? Um, obviously, to go get the grant, you go to NASA, but, uh, you know, with the DOD and educational customers, for example, how do you find them? How do you approach them? Yeah, I'd say a big way is going to these uh, large conferences. Hmm. Uh, there's the small satellite conference that's held in uh, Logan, Utah, every year, and that's a big draw for okay. Oh, I think they, the last one I went to had 2,500 people. Um, there is, and so that's held in August every year. And then every other year, there's the International Electric Repulsion Conference that we are attending. And again, that'll, I think that's a couple thousand people that attend that. So, you, you know, you present papers, you, mm -hmm. uh, at small satellite, we've got a booth and uh, people drop by and see what we've got to offer. Okay, excellent. Um, do you think you would get very good results in just walking around rather than having a booth? No, I think having the booth and having um, some, you know, sort of demo hardware there, mm -hmm. give a sense of mm -hmm. scale and size uh, is an advantage. Okay. And um, having, having that banner out there, yeah. uh, I think is helpful. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the challenges in, in first getting the award. Uh, I've talked to people, again, going back several years now, um, who had to write the grant application multiple times, right? They would get turned down and, and uh, at least they wouldn't go away with their tail between their legs, right? They would come back with some humility and say, okay, what do I do? How, how can I make this better? Uh, what have the challenges been like for you in getting these? Obviously, you get, I imagine you get better as, as you do more. Yeah, you, you, you learn, <laughs> it's a process. Um, you, the phase, well, especially with NASA and DOD actually, you always get some sort of debriefing feedback on your proposals, win or lose. And uh, we find that to be extremely helpful. And sometimes I think one thing for a new small business is to take this as constructive criticism as opposed to a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's good comments in there and we have uh, one or, you know, lost phase ones, looked at the debriefing, revised the phase one and then won the mm -hmm. phase one and the follow on phase two. So those can be very helpful and uh, definitely pay attention to them. Okay. So would you say then for people new to the process, they shouldn't jump in expecting to win the first time? Um, this process might take a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We started in 1998 and it's a good uh -huh. 
good thing I kept my day job at the University of Illinois <laughs> that year. <laughs> um, but in 99, we started getting um, phase one, 2000, we got our first phase two. And so things progressed from there. But yeah, we, we probably have on phase ones an overall win rate of around uh, 25%. Hmm. And phase twos closer to know, 43%. <laughs> okay. Uh, so there is no instant rubber stamp to get the phase two if you do a good phase one, even if you come back with the... No rubber stamp. Developed. Okay. No, Very you interesting. Got to learn to have a, a thick skin yeah. and to keep keep proposing because there is, there is one rule. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you don't write the proposal, you are guaranteed not to win it. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the, the most athletic people don't win the Olympics necessarily. It's the people who showed up, right? Who, uh, who keep committed. Trying. Keep at it, yep. Okay. Sure. So you mentioned the University of Illinois there. Um, you've partnered with them. Obviously, you have a connection. You just mentioned uh, you had a role there. But tell me more about that. Was it What were the conditions of having U of Illinois as a partner? What advantages does that bring to the table? Uh, it's been absolutely phenomenal uh, working with the university over the years. Um, they have such a wealth of, you know, fine engineering and scientific minds, um, you know, some of the finest in the world. And that helps to keep the flow of innovation going in the company, mm-hmm. you know, exchanging ideas, but also being able to, you know, subcontract to the university, have them do certain aspects of the work, especially some of the more theoretical uh, type work. And then almost, not all, but almost all of our full-time people have been graduates from the University of Illinois. And we regularly hire interns uh, from there. It's, it's only about three miles away from us. So it's, it's pretty easy <laughs> to get around in this small uh, twin cities of Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> Hence the CU. How, how has bringing those folks on board impacted the culture of your organization, do you think? Oh, I think it keeps things young and uh-huh. um, enthusiastic. Uh, it's great to see the, 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 you know, that fire in the new interns and they're very energetic and they also you know they ask a lot of questions and mm. sometimes they come up with questions that you might not know haven't thought about um and so that that helps okay tell us a little bit about how this works uh, do you go find a, a professor of a department and say look you've got phd candidates or master's degree candidates would you like them to help us study this particular area that we have some funding for, uh, or does it work a completely different way? Um, I would say it is sort of a mixed situation. Sometimes professors uh, have an idea, they know of us, um, we have some overlap, and mm-hmm. so then we, we can team, partner with them. And then a lot of times there's a technology that we look at and we feel, okay, we could, we could bid on this topic, but we really need somebody from the university. Who do we know there that can help out? And, you know, if we know somebody, then we can, we can tap into them. 
and then sometimes we tap into other universities too because it it's depends there's so many different specializations out there uh, right um i imagine there's a bit of a sales pitch that needs to be made to bring some of these guys on board right uh that, that everybody's got their own thing that they're in love with, right? They're already busy. And then you come along like, hey, I want to work on my giant, you know, blazer thing or whatever it happens to be, right? In your case, you know, deorbiting um, and thruster tech. But how is that a challenge or is that pretty easy? Sometimes it can be a challenge. Um, a, a professor has, well, Everybody's different. Some professors have different motivations. Mm -hmm. Some professors are um, sort of just after writing papers and getting scientific results. And then some professors are a little bit more um, applied. Mm -hmm. And there's you know, nothing wrong with either side. Uh, for our situation where we're trying to develop products, a person, a professor who's a bit more applied is, is probably a better fit for us. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, having not done this process myself, I am curious. With it. So I run a mental movie in my head of like, well, I think this is how it would turn out. And then to hear from you, you know, the facts are this way. Yeah. That's that's great feedback. So you get the program, you get the grant, you get the people lined up. I know I've talked to Gordon Ressler about being a DARPA program manager. And uh, yeah, you got this idea and funding. Now you got to go out and find people you believe are capable of achieving the goal right uh which is more difficult now you have to run the program right and so what challenges are there and what could happen you know you mentioned an under 50 percent uh rate of of coming back for the the second phase right there's a reason for that <laughs> and it's not necessarily because of, of the the people or the technology or something like that tell us a little bit about the challenges of running a program um well <laughs> they are very mixed <laughs> the some of the big challenges are not so much running one program, mm -hmm. but running multiple programs at the same time. And, you know, in a sense, it was easier in our, our earlier days when we had fewer programs and people could just focus on in, you know, real single projects. But now we have so many, we've got 14, 15 programs running right now, and we've got people working multiple programs. So trying to find enough time for each of the, you know, right person on the right job at the right time. Mm -hmm. So the scheduling, I guess, is, uh, is uh, one of the big issues these days. Supply chain issues is a big t thing these days. We've been through this rope of designing circuit boards and then getting ready to order the parts and finding that the parts that we designed for are no longer available. And then you have to redesign the circuit board. <laughs> so now we, we try to stock up on the, the components before we design the circuit board. <laughs> but anyway, other challenges, um, when you hit the end of the phase two, uh, one of the big challenges is avoiding what's called the valley of death for the technology. Because there's, there's the, the SBI pro, SBIR programs have some vehicles for keeping the funding going, but it's, it's me, I don't know, in my opinion, maybe it's not quite enough. There, I, feel that, I feel that there's a lot of excellent technologies that are out there that don't find that 
bridging funding to get them to the next level. And sometimes you can do that with venture capital, but then you have to worry about dealing with venture capitalists. And so it's, you know, with space hardware in particular, the hill gets even bigger because the customers are very risk averse. Mm. You know, it's, it's one shot, mm. <laughs> spacecraft goes up and they want it to work. Um, and that's, I understand that. Um, so one of the questions we always guessed, asked is about flight heritage. Mm -hmm. And um, right now we're working on a couple of spacecraft to get flight heritage for some of these thruster technologies, but it's still a challenge. Um, it's a very expensive proposition to launch something. So you get into this chicken and egg program or problem. Uh, you know, you have the flight heritage, but I'm risk averse. You know? Right. Yeah, I know uh, I did an interview with somebody we brought on board, um, uh, Marco Cross, uh, recently. And that episode hasn't come out yet. It'll come out just before yours, I think. Um, so people could go listen to that. And he said pretty much the same thing. His irritation with the fact that you have to have flight heritage for everything under the sun uh, and how that's stifling innovation. Right? It really, really slows everything down. And uh, wouldn't it be... <laughs> more fun as as the cost of launch comes down though i think you know we might have a chance right of of opening that up a bit but right now yeah uh the eggs are in one basket really yeah well so, I, I like that nasa's uh space technology mission directorate has a program called the tipping point mm -hmm. program and so we have we won a tipping point solicitation that we call the dual propulsion experiment or duplex CubeSat. And that's flying two of these thruster systems, two different thruster systems on the same CubeSat mm -hmm. uh, that NASA funded to develop that technology. So I think that that kind of financial vehicle ought to be implemented even more because that'll help get these technologies out of the valley of death. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of what what proportion of technologies end up in that valley of death or is it, would it be a blind guess? Um, it, I mean, it's going to be a blind guess, but I would, <laughs> I would say it's pretty high. I would, yeah. get, I would guess three out of four technologies at least end up there, hmm. if not more. Okay. You, when you came in to be president, um, you realized that the company needed to get more focused on finding customers, commercialization, right? Uh, tell us about some of those changes, the mindset changes maybe that needed to be made. And I know we're going back a few years now because um, you've been well along this path for a while now. Yeah, so the first decade or so of our company's history, we were really just all research and development. And we thought about big technologies, <laughs> big vehicles, big lasers, whatever. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun, but we sort of plateaued on our ability to draw in revenue. Hmm. And so when I took over, I started, you know, we settled in with everybody and um, talked about it. And I, my feeling was that we needed to think smaller so that whatever was at the end of phase two would be a prototype. So it could be a piece of software uh, or it could be a propulsion system that's, you know, this about a liter in size that fits in a shoe box or boot box sized spacecraft. Hmm. And I think that 
thinking has helped a lot because it's allowed us to develop technologies with a smaller group of people than, you know, we don't have Lockheed size <laughs> facilities right. or, or personnel. Okay. So you get in there, you have the chat with them, they're on board. Um, changes the focus and the scope, the scale of projects that you're bidding on. And you end up with, uh, after a while, a bunch of uh, stuff, <laughs> right? Um, what, what along the way during these projects have you learned to do to make sure that you have customers at the end? You have to keep talking with the customer to find out, you know, is this what they really want? Mm. Or do they want a variation on that? Uh, technology but then also as you start to really work with real tech you have to get into the thought process of okay what kind of electrical interface am i going to use with your flight computer and what command structure what um uh, you know and does my system actually fit in yours or is it a little too big because if it's a little too big, then I need to shrink it down. Um, so there's a lot of thinking like that. Another process that we've had to now build in is quality control. Mm -hmm. We've, we're now, it's called AS9100D certified. So we are certified to build flight hardware for uh, aerospace systems. And that was a you know an investment in the company and it took a lot of uh, education and training of, of the personnel and it's it's rigorous it mm -hmm. slows things down but it also ultimately will probably speed things up as we get a higher production volume than we mm -hmm. are at right now right that that shift from the onesie twosie two billion dollar giant satellite project to a more in continuous manufacturing, almost automotive process was what I was hoping to jump into three years ago, <laughs> you know, with the small sets, right? And it's kind of there. Some companies have it, but a lot don't, um, yeah. you, you know, know it's, it's uh, good for you for thinking ahead on that. And It's a hard it. process. Yeah. And it, it takes a mental shift from thinking in terms of, okay, yeah, building two thrusters for one satellite, I want to be building a hundred thrusters for a whole bunch of customers right? Uh, or even a thousand thrusters. I mean, when you talk about the current space environment, um, you know, SpaceX and Starlink, they're talking about putting up 40,000 satellites. Mm -hmm. Right now there's only about 3000 operational satellites in orbit. It's a lot more space debris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is an order of magnitude increase. And mm -hmm. that's part of why we push on the responsible space thing and minimize clutter and minimize chance of collisions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoy showing people who don't really know much about space uh, T.S. Kelso's Celeste track. And, uh, and then I pan out and I show them geo <laughs> after they've been impressed by my feel and what's in there. And uh, yeah. And then as you say, you know, hey, we're going to 10 X this or whatever over the next few years. So 
watch out guys like dr gordon wrestler and myself are really uh, interested in modularity replaceable parts right um, easy switching in and out of things but you just mentioned there's a lot of finickiness and we see this a lot in software development too somebody will create a database driven thing maybe an ERP system or something. And then every freaking customer will come back and go, well, yeah, we love it. But could you tweak this little thing, right? Or add on this thing. And uh, the, the customers get frustrated because they constantly hear, yeah, yeah, it's coming. That's in development. Um, you know, how often do you get into those kinds of conversations or is it a pretty easy change? Um, yeah, we get into them fairly fairly regularly every customer seems to have their own interface and uh, desire for you know this polarity or that polarity uh, it's it's a mixed bag but those kinds of adjustments are doable uh, not too much effort but it does require changing a circuit board and, um, to meet a customer's need that invokes a little extra cost, but. Right, okay, so they don't expect you to just automatically include it, uh, you know, an adjustment. No, no, I mean, we, we try to provide a baseline mm -hmm. item yeah. and then say, you know, additional cost for this, this, this. Okay. And usually there's additional costs. So let's say there is a, I get <laughs> at least a couple calls a week from this kind of person. Let's say there's an inventor type out there listening. Um, they don't have university connections. They don't have a lot of money in the bank. Maybe they're doing another kind of job, but they have an idea. And they may have even made a little bit of progress along the way to creating a prototype, probably investing money that they shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> what, what advice would you give to them? Uh, maybe to build themselves out so they have a bigger base or more stability, more resources to work with, um, you know, maybe to get on the way to being able to apply for something or partner with somebody. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Partnering, I think, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, one of my old phrases is uh, I'd rather have, you know, 50% of something than 100% of nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so teaming, I think will help credibility. That's one of the things that the reviewers will look at when you write proposals or try to present in front of, uh, an investor or venture capitalist, they're going to be looking at credibility. Um, so I think also having, you know, I, I hate the term, the two minute elevator pitch, but but having a good, concise story that you can relate in a real way that somebody can understand. And then you can elaborate on it if they're still interested. <laughs> right. Right. A lot of these guys want to get into the how-to of, uh, you know, the subatomic particle movement or whatever, right? And it's like, hey, I can go there, but that's, that's way beyond where most people want to go initially. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to be as fascinated with it as you are, frankly. Uh, that's, that's likely to be the situation. But as you say, if you could approach somebody with a straightforward story of, look, I saw, or people told me who said that they would pay for a solution, there was this kind of problem. 
right? And so I went and developed or would like to develop this kind of solution. And here's how far I've gotten. Here are the partners I have. That is a heck of a lot more appealing than the mad scientist in his lab uh, <laughs> who, who doesn't have a customer yet. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of weirdness in, in grant awards. I don't want you to embarrass anybody. Let's not talk about anything specific, but I'm sure there are things I've talked to many uh business owners who have gotten grants where they told me they were just scratching their head about this got awarded right and uh, there's no way that's going to go to a phase two it's clearly going to die in the valley of death on phase one tell us a little bit about your experience witnessing things like that yeah we've definitely seen some very wild ideas get awarded um and we've also seen ideas win that we've already shown that would fail <laughs> so it's, you know, it's tricky. Proposals get graded by reviewers. Um, sometimes the reviewers are younger, you know, everybody's busy. And so the more experienced reviewers might pawn it off onto somebody who's less experienced in their organization. And then they might not know as much and be influenced towards some technology that get, looks really exciting, but <laughs> may uh, violate fundamental physics. Uh, so that sort of stuff sometimes gets awarded. Uh, at the same time, I think it's important that people take chances on some risky technologies. So overall, I applaud the process because it does inspire innovation and that requires that people take chances and sometimes you make mistakes, but you learn from your mistakes and um, and you keep moving forward. Sometimes those mistakes can turn into successes later. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's quite a process. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen cases where people were not able to commercialize and the, the technology that was developed got taken away from them? I have not seen that myself. Okay. I think that the government's intent is if somebody has a technology, the government wants that company to sell that technology. Mm -hmm. I don't think they want to take it away from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if for some reason that company was refusing to build it for the government for some reason, mm -hmm. that might be a different situation if the government had some rights to the technology. Mm -hmm. But that, that seems like a, it's probably happened, but it seems mm -hmm. like a silly scenario okay. company to pursue that approach. What are the consequences then of not pursuing commercialization when you've taken the grant money? Um, I think long-term it's probably bad for you. I mean, some technologies you you get through phase two and you discover, okay, this ain't going to work. Mm. And we have had that happen. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we just don't try and pursue that any further. Um, but I think if you have a lot of like, you know, we've been around for 20, this is our 25th year. Mm. Yeah. We've been around, we've been alive for more than 24 years. So this will be our 25th year. Um, and 
I think if we hadn't tried to pursue technologies, commercialization of those much earlier in the history, then we would have, uh, we would have failed by now. Mm-hmm. You would just run out of money to keep going. Yeah. It, well, it also, you know, it's a reputation thing. You want to, mm-hmm. you want to develop stuff. And sometimes what you develop on one program can feed into a different program or a different Mm -hmm. technology. And that has happened with us. Some technologies that we built up in other uh, programs have played a role in later other uh, technologies and proposals that we've written. Okay. David, who do you want to hear from um, both as, I guess, potential customers who could use the the technologies you're creating and building and also uh, people with resources or people who might want to work for you? Uh, well, certainly, uh, I mean, customer-wise, anybody who wants a propulsion system, we want to hear from. <laughs> okay. and, and even and people that haven't thought too much about propulsion hmm. for these small satellites, they, they need to think about it. Because mm-hmm. um, that whole Kessler syndrome where you get so much space debris mm-hmm. up there that it, you can no longer safely launch anything through low earth orbit. Um, that's a, if that were to happen, then you, you're looking at no launches for 25 years, mm-hmm. which isn't very attractive. Um, okay, and I think I forgot the second half of your question. <laughs> uh, who you're looking for to talk to, either people who have resources or people who might wanna work for you. Um, certainly, I'm interested in talking with uh, venture capital and investment mm-hmm. organizations. It would have to be an, an organization that that saw a good fit. You know, mm-hmm. I don't just want blind money. Yeah. Um, and then, so that would be a resource. Uh, local companies that make parts and hardware. I like teaming with them. There's other small businesses in town that have certain capabilities that we don't. And mm-hmm. so doing some teaming with them is, is useful and that we do do that periodically. Okay. How often does like ITAR come up for you? Very often. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So that should be something on people's minds uh, when they approach yeah, you. It's almost, yeah. it's almost universally. Yeah, yeah. We, we try to have, um, well, we only have, U.S. citizens or U.S. persons mm-hmm. in the facility, um, and we have hired foreign nationals that have worked remotely. Mm-hmm. Things, but then you have you know, sort of have to firewall them off in certain mm-hmm. ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of a constant problem, and you know it, we're an American aerospace company, so we have to deal with it. Right. Right. Okay. Well, uh, so folks who want to learn more about CU or contact with you, um, where should they go? Uh, certainly they can go to the website. Um, there's a sort of generic contact email mm-hmm. that they can use. Uh, they can also write to me directly, uh, carol at cua.space, C-A-R-R-O-L-L at cua.space. That, that would be a way. All right, David. Well, thank you for your directness and honesty in these things. I always enjoy that and uh, appreciate you sharing your views.
You're welcome. Thank you very much for your time, Jason. All right. Thanks for joining Dr. David Carroll and myself. If you're interested in commercializing successfully, wouldn't it be great to have a head start on that? Wouldn't it be great to bring in outside expertise on how to commercialize a product? I don't know if you know this. I didn't. It had to be pointed out to me. There's a thing called technical and business allowance, TABA, T-A-B-A. That is a category of money built into the SIBRs and STTRs, and you can get that if you are applying for one of those type of projects, all right? And then come and invest that money with us at Cold Star Tech. So for a leg up on commercializing a product, come talk to us. Hey, even if it's a bit early, come talk to us anyway, because who knows what we might be able to tell you about and steer you to that's the right move rather than, you know, two years later and you're down the road and it's a little bit late, right? All right, thanks for listening.